Praise the Lord. I am Rajat and you are listening to Biblical Demand Podcast where we discuss and answer difficult questions raised against the Bible, God and the Christian faith. In the Gospel according to Apostle John chapter 8 verse 32, Jesus said, "And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free." Amen. So let's get started. Welcome to Biblical Demand and today our guest is Dr. Daryl Bock. It's a joy to have you here, sir. Oh, it's good to be with you. Uh looking forward to the time. So let's begin with your story. Tell us about yourself. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? Well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I w- attended church when I was young, but um, my mother contracted cancer when I was eight years old, and our church attendance became determined by uh, her health. And she passed away six years later. So I wasn't in a in a church environment where I. uh they they may have taught the gospel and preached the gospel but I wasn't there at an age where I grasped the gospel if I can say it that way so I came to the lord in my between my freshman and sophomore year in college after several year years of people sharing with me uh the gospel variety of people from a variety of backgrounds and so when I came to the lord it was a very thought through process um and so I hit the ground running as we say here which meant that i uh, my growth was uh pretty instantaneous in terms of i hosted a bible study in my sophomore year of college that grew uh, in the three years um i was at the university of texas and then went on to seminary and then from there did my doctoral work at aberdeen and i've been teaching at dallas ever since i finished at aberdeen so i'm in my 41th 41st year of teaching here at the seminary and uh, i've concentrated basically on the gospels and acts as a uh, concentration and then i also serve as uh executive director for cultural engagement at the hendrick center which is seeking to apply the scriptures to the current uh environment that we find ourselves in so it's a um pretty wide ranging experience over time with the lord wow that's pretty uh, interesting and that's a great testimony that um how god led you to this path of righteousness so so what made you to pursue this uh this new testament uh professorship or how did you pursue that well i did my under i did my um my equivalent in md of a thm degree in old testament here at dallas we concentrate on teaching the languages among other things so you get two and a half years of hebrew and uh uh two and a half years of Hebrew and and Greek uh and so I majored in Old Testament thinking that if I didn't I wouldn't be as good uh, and have much much facility in Hebrew and then I did my doctoral work in New Testament and then my both my thesis as a master student and my dissertation which is often called a thesis in other countries as a PhD were both related in the use of the Old Testament and the New so I was constantly working with how the Bible holds together and the way in which the two testaments connect um and i did my work in luke acts and used the old testament for christology and that um put me pretty deeply into the gospels the first uh major book i wrote was um that was uh in biblical studies for a large audience and not just the dissertation was on the gospel of luke although that came out after other books that i'd written because it took so long to do it and so i've been i was in the gospels really from the very beginning in fact when i came to dallas one of the reasons they hired me was because i had 
specialized in the gospels and we didn't have uh, most of our new testament people were were grounded in paul so um so i brought an expertise to the department that um that filled a hole wow that's so fantastic and it seems so interesting that uh, you've been studying the old and the new testament especially the gospels so before coming to the gospels i would like to ask this question that many people in the east believe that uh, christianity um, became popular after jesus christ and it is just a 2000 year old religion whereas uh, hinduism say is the oldest religion so should not we follow the oldest instead of the new new religion well it's the content of the religion that makes the difference so um the message of Christianity is pretty unique. Most religions hold to some form of a view that says that a human person can improve themselves on their own ability and their own strength. Um, that's not what Christianity argues. Christianity argues that that we all, even though we're made in the image of God, fall short in terms of how we live our lives. And it's an offer of, of grace and enablement that God gives to, to make us able to live in a way that uh, that reflects his his goodness, kindness, and character, uh, and so uh, so it isn't the age of the religion that's important. It's it's the um, content of the faith that's really important. And so, um, even though most religions have been around a long time, most religions pursue some form of wisdom. They try and say, "Well, this is how to live wisely," or that kind of thing. To actually be able to do that. Is a, is a completely different conversation. And to think through what's necessary to do that is a different conversation. And Christianity is unique in, in acknowledging that oftentimes as human beings, we fall short. And so we need what we need to consciously pursue and need what God supplies. Hmm. Definitely, uh, that the content of the religion that matters instead of the age, right? Yes. Yeah, but w when we look, uh, um, before Christ, it, it started, I think, with the Old Testament only that um, how Judaism was built on, right? Yeah, I mean, Christianity does build off of uh, of Judaism. So in one sense, saying that it's a 2,000-year-old religion obscures the, well, I mean, how far back do you want to go? The 1,800-plus years that, that start, with, particularly with Abraham, I mean, the early part of Genesis starts in the beginning. So, I mean, can't get much older than that. And, uh, and so, uh, but the real story of the unfolding of what it is God is doing starts with Abraham. He's about 1800 years before the time of Christ. So we've had, if we want to think of it this way, we've had just slightly longer time since Christ as we had before Christ that sets up the story of Christ and what it is that God's doing in the world. Absolutely. That makes totally sense. And, uh, it's about the age and about the content. I think the content matters most, whether it's a new religion or the old. As you, as Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God, right? So, coming back to the to Jesus, you know, we be, many people claim and many skeptics says that um, early disciples of Jesus make him God. For example, for example, if someone does good work or seems extraordinary or does some supernatural acts or works, people get fascinated by that person and they think and they claim that, oh, this man is the reincarnation. Oh, this man is then 
avatar or a guru so did so should we say that early disciples of jesus make him god no uh in fact they wrestled with who he was for a while they tried to figure out who he was and what he was doing um and uh this is actually the burden of uh matthew mark and luke and john john tells you from the very beginning that jesus was god who became flesh but in matthew mark and luke we watch it dawn on people as they become aware and wrestle with he's able to do this he's able to do that he's able to do this um, what does that mean for who he is? And he's doing stuff that in the Judeo-Christian worldview is a reflection of what God does. So, for example, he forgives sins and he doesn't appeal to God to forgive sins. He does it directly. Um, that's something only God does in a Judeo-Christian worldview. Or um, he takes authority over the Sabbath, which is a which is a day of rest that God established. Um he redefines liturgy that comes out of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Passover, was about the founding of the nation of Israel and the 10th plague. But at the Lord's table, he redefines that in terms of his own death, etc. So he's doing, he claims authority over the temple um, when he enters into Jerusalem. So he's doing things that show who he is, and it isn't that the disciples make him God is the disciples recognize that he's doing divine stuff. And then when, when the resurrection happens in a dispute, in a context in which Judaism has said, well, he's blasphemed, he's claimed to be something that he isn't. And he says, no, I'm going to be exalted to the right hand of God. I am in the middle of what God is doing. I am God's son. I'm going to sit at his right hand, figuratively speaking, in heaven. God's vote in the resurrection is for what Jesus is claiming. So if you want to say who, who made Jesus God, the best way to say it is, is that God made Jesus God or God showed that Jesus was God through the resurrection. Absolutely. And you said very well that initially the disciples were struggling to identify who Jesus is, but later on they recognized that Jesus is the promised Messiah, right? Right. In fact, you know, when he, when he, when he calms the winds and the waves, that passage ends with the question, reflective question. Who is this who's able to calm the winds and the waves and they obey him? That's another thing that he's doing that shows he's doing divine-like things. He isn't appealing to God to stop the creation. He commands and the creation stops. So it's direct, it's clear, uh, and it's it's singularly focused on what he's doing. And they begin to see he's doing this combination of things that show who he is and and then it dawns on them this must be who he is uh and and really in one sense um they don't entirely get it uh until we're into the last week of his life and in, into what the crucifixion and the resurrection involved because he signals and explains to them who he is in the fullest sense yeah, in that time period absolutely and also when we see that whatever we know about Christianity today is because of the four gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And many people, um, you know, question their identity, question their authenticity. And and I think that Luke was written, the, was the first gospel, right? Well, actually, it's probably Mark that was the first gospel. And then Matthew and Luke come later, and then John comes at the end of that sequence. Um, there was a long time where... Matthew was thought to be the first gospel, but 
Now what scholars think is, is that the outline of Mark is really embedded in the first three Gospels. And they're mm-hmm. very, very similarly outlined in such a way that Mark is either first, and that reflects why it's the case, or last, um, because um, he fit, he makes it fit the other Gospels if, if he's last. But Mark doesn't look like a last Gospel at all. Um, for example, you have emphasy material in both Matthew and Luke. And Mark has no infancy material at all. Um, you have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew that's the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, and you have no ethical speech like that by Jesus at all. So if Mark is simply condensing what he sees in the other Gospels, uh, that you wouldn't get the condensation that you have in Mark. So that makes most people think Mark is the first Gospel written, and the other two Gospels are working off of Mark. And then other th- other sources that they have about Jesus that allow them to construct their gospels. Okay, so could you please tell us about the Luke because we uh, because Luke was not one of the disciples, right? And um, we read in Luke one that he investigated all the sources and the, he heard all the testimonies and he wrote the orderly account for the Theophilus. So how yes. authentic Luke could be? Well, Luke is interacting with with the earliest generation of disciples. He is clearly in touch with the community in Jerusalem, which is where the church started. Um, and then, uh, and then he's also very aware of the community in Antioch, which is um, one of the larger cities, one of the first cities where the gospel was planted outside of Jerusalem. Um, so he's obviously had interaction with them. He's associated with Paul in his ministry, so he knows Paul uh, in some ways even more directly, being part of his um, traveling and ministry team. So he had access to this first generation. Justin Martyr in the second century called the Gospels the Apostolic Memoirs, which is a nice alternative name for a gospel, and uh, and and that's really what Luke reflects. So. Um, do we have any sources about the Luke's conversion? And no, we don't know how Luke came to the Lord. Okay, but he was a companion with the other uh, gospel writers. Yeah, we. Uh, this is on. This is on the belief that um, the we sections in Acts indicate when he talks about we that at that point he's traveling with Paul. At those points in the Book of Acts, those are four separate passages. None of them represent significant events in Acts, which is if you were making up a travel companion to be with Paul to underscore the credibility of the work that you're writing, and you were just making it up, you would have him be with Paul at key events in the book of Acts. But that's not what happens. He's in four parts, a couple of parts of his missionary journey, and then in the trip to, uh, to, the, to Rome. But for example, he's not at Pentecost. He's not with uh, Peter and Cornelius. He's not. Uh, he's not a Pisidia Antioch. So there are lots of places where he's not present. Uh, that if you were inserting into the discussion, he's not at the Jerusalem Council. Um, you know, if if you were making it up, and you could put him anywhere to enhance his authority, you would put him at main events. Okay, so we do not have uh, much information about his conversion, but. We know he was with the apostles. That's right. And yeah. So um, one more question related to this about the 
because we read when we read the uh, gospels we see that um, nowhere it is written that it was written by matthew or luke or you know mark but i think in the gospel of john we see that john mentioned his name that uh, it belongs to john well actually um no one no one gets named within the gospel itself john gets named as the beloved apostle as the beloved disciple and then by deduction because of the circ sequence of relationships where he's present uh, are there we determine that that's likely to be john so the self-reference is an indirect self-reference as opposed to a naming uh, in john the other gospels don't say who they are but i like to tell people um that the church in circulating these gospels are saying these are the gospels that we think tell the story of jesus and the church never would have be begun that circulation without knowing who the addressee was for that gospel and sending to him. It's like, if I send you a package, right? Um, uh, I don't know how they do this in India, but here it would be FedEx or UPS or someone like that. Uh, maybe it's in Europe, it's Dow. Um, but anyway, someone gets uh, delivered to you. You have a little address thing in the corner that tells you who it came from. Uh, and so I would think the early church would know where these gospels uh, resided and who they were from, because that would be the basis upon which to recognize their authority, at least one basis. Okay. Even though they're not named in the document itself. And okay. the superscriptions that we have uh, from the Gospels um, appear to be dated relatively early. And we know by the, by the end of the second century, they, they, the, it's established who they are from. Irenaeus goes through the four Gospels, and we we know from a thing called the Muratorian Canon, at least the last two, There's the beginning is broken off, so we don't know the first two, but we know there are four, and Luke and John are named in slot three and slot four, so most people think Matthew and Mark would have been slots one and two, um, and uh, so we have a lot, by the end of the second century, beginning of the third century, these authors are being identified by name. Okay, great. So coming to the question and divinity of Jesus, many people say that uh, how can Jesus save us if he can, he, if he could not save himself on the cross? So could you please define that? What it's, what does save means? And there's save... actually, uh, that actually reflects a mocking of Jesus that took place while he was on the cross. Um, so that's, not a new view. That may be the oldest view objecting to Jesus that exists. Um, but the point is, he was dying a death on, on our behalf, and it was never his assignment to save himself. It was God's assignment to vindicate him and his claims. And that's what the resurrection is. The resurrection is the story. You've got a dispute when Jesus is put to death. The dispute is the Jewish leadership thinks he has committed blasphemy. The Roman government thinks he's seditious. He's claimed to be a king that Rome doesn't appoint. So he's crucified technically for sedition, for treason, because he claims to be a king that Rome didn't appoint. And Rome appoints the kings in the Greco-Roman Empire. Um, and, Ro and Rome believes in law and order. You follow our law or we'll put you in order. And you put someone in order who's seditious by crucifying them. So that's the storyline of where we are on on Good Friday on on when Jesus dies. And 
the New Testament claims he's dying in our place. He is bearing a penalty to the full for us, okay? which means he isn't going to save himself off of the cross. The salvation that takes place is going to take place after the cross, at least the deliverance of Jesus is going to take place after the cross for the salvation that he's procuring for all of us. And then the empty tomb, you know, oftentimes Easter gets, um, I can say this, under-preached, if I can say it that way. What I mean is, we preach on Easter, um, he is risen, and then the church says, well, he is risen indeed. And the whole idea is, well, there's life after death because Jesus showed that there was life after death. But that isn't all that's going on. What's also going on is God's vote in that dispute. Is Jesus a blasphemer and seditious, or is he the one who claimed to be the Son of God who God would take to his right hand? And the resurrection is God's indication I'm taking it to his right hand. I'm showing you who he is. Romans 1.4 speaks about uh, Jesus being marked out as the son of God in power as a result of the resurrection. Actually, the literal Greek says horizon being marked out as son of God by the resurrection. And that's the vindication piece. So that it shows that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And the mission is what he said it was. So it was never his intent to crawl down from the cross. It was his intent to experience the fullness of the cross, to provide the way for our own salvation by taking on the penalty of death that we deserve and uh, and taking it in our place, and in that way uh, enabling us to be declared righteous and clean for those who say, I need what it is that God offers, and that's the step of faith that Christianity calls for as well. Absolutely, absolutely, that makes and that's what Christianity is about, that people only focus on the death of the Jesus, but um, there is a resurrection of Christ as well. So death and resurrection goes hand in hand, and we cannot ignore one or the other. And right? ascension goes along with resurrection. So it isn't just that the tomb is empty. Okay, mm-hmm. Where did Jesus go? He went to the right hand. of. I joke with people that if you want to get in contact with Jesus, you can contact him at www righthandofgod.com and he will hear you <laughs> great amen amen uh so moving on to the next question is that isn't it to is it isn't it irrational to say that christianity is the only true religion whereas there are many paths to god well we're back to where we started which is it depends on the content of the religion and what the religion teaches and what the religion says about the condition of humanity and what it takes to to be in relationship with God. And Christianity, I'll say it again, Christianity is unique in claiming that man doesn't fix himself, but that the only way to be fixed is to, is to have the, how can I say this, the medicine that God supplies in order to be healed. And so, um, so you can't have all religions be true if they're, claiming very disparate kinds of messages in terms of what their emphasis is. And the emphasis of most religions uh, that exist outside of Christianity are that uh, we have we we are asked to fix ourselves or we're asked to reform works or we simply acknowledge that there are different paths to God and be done with it. But um, but that doesn't work for Christianity because Christianity is making a claim that other faiths don't make. Hmm. Absolutely. Christianity is making that man efforts are futile and God has to intervene. Right? That's exactly right. So, 
you know, Ephesians says, salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then the other half of it is, it goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship. These are the people who respond to that message. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So works are something that Christianity commends, but not as a way of saving, but as a reflection of the fact that you've been saved. Mm. Amen. Absolutely. Could you please um, put some light on the Jesus's missing ears? We see him, we see him uh, in the Gospels that when he was a kid, and then we suddenly see him at the ministry. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we see him in the infancy, and then we see him again at the age of 12, and then we don't see him again until he's over 30. Um, and we don't know much about the missing years. Our assumption is he grew up in, in the family of Joseph. Joseph has a reputation for being a carpenter, to be a worker with wood and stone. And uh, Jesus probably um, served in his family for, for a time until the time of his ministry came. We just don't know much about that period. We don't have sources for it. And so much of what um, gets said is speculation based upon what would be part of a normal Jewish family. Because uh, in India, it is believed that in those missing years, Jesus traveled to India. Yeah, I know. And uh, I, I think the the tradition that may have more merit is that um, that Thomas ended up in in India as one of the twelve who came, uh, probably perhaps the furthest to the east of any of the twelve. Yeah, absolutely. Thomas was the first person. Mm -hmm. And uh, moving on to our last question, which I usually ask every guest, that uh, what advice would you give to young Christians who are in in this internet age, influenced by culture, philosophies, and other worldviews? Well, uh, two things. One is um, um, stay close to the Bible. Um, Bible is the word of God. It's that what we're supposed to run to. Stay close to a community that is focused on instructing on the Bible. And stay close to believers who are walking in that way. And Christianity was never designed to be a private religion. Uh, it's a very public faith. And it's a very community-based faith. So you want to find a community that's rooted in what it is that the Bible teaches. The Bible um, teaches two things simultaneously that are a little bit in tension. On the one hand, we're supposed to engage with the world and be involved in the world and serve the people around us um, in the way that we live. And yet at the same time, we're to live distinctively, not in the way the world lives. And so it's balancing those two things that are a part of a good Christian walk and to do that well you need to do it with others who are trying to do the same. Absolutely. That is really a great advice that to stay with the community and Christianity is more community-based religion or of yep. faith. Exactly. So, exactly. So thank you, Dr. Bok, for your time. And it was a really a good time. You answered all the questions which I prepared. And I hope the listeners get, uh, gets a benefit too. Well, it's good to be with Rajat. It's uh, it's great. Uh, I'm often in, in India, believe it or not. I get there every now and again, and I'll be there this summer and the summer after. And so I always look forward to the visit, and I trust that uh, this conversation will be helpful to people.